Hi, everybody. Stefan Molyneux from Freedom Main Radio. It's time for the dynamic trio. Oh, that didn't work very well. Anyway, myself, uh, uh, Jeffrey Tucker, and the uh, one of the uh, head honchos at uh, the youth cult known as the International Students for Liberty, uh, Alexander McCobin. Uh, thank you guys so much for taking the time to chat today. It's really cool to be invited. Thank you for having so, us. Jeff, you just got back from uh, Washington, and it's a trip I always enjoy. What I really dislike is the uh, libertarian hazmat suit, lice-eradicating uh, biotoxic scrub-down that has to happen after you go directly into the belly of the beast. But uh, you were mentioning in the pre-show chat box uh, about how it seems to have changed since the last time you were there. I mean, other than more evil, uh, there are other things. Oh, it was no, it was absolutely extraordinary. Because um, I had lived in Washington, you know, in the night in the late 1980s, and to the extent libertarianism existed, it was it was kind of uh, intellectually insecure. Always sort of being buffeted left and right. Uh, it was it was an older movement. It wasn't very uh, well educated, not very, very sophisticated. It certainly wasn't very big. Um, but um, now everything is just complete. It wasn't very sophisticated either, uh, politically or intellectually or otherwise. And it certainly didn't constitute a social network in any sense. But tech, I don't know what it's a combination of like uh, students for liberty. Um, and some many other organizations within Capitol Hill, but also social networks um, and uh, the ubiquity of information. Everything's changed. It seemed much more sophisticated this time and much more fun, a younger crowd, uh, more intellectually self-conscious and dedicated. And actually, I have to say more radical and also more civil. I mean, so just like it's like, it's like a movement that's sort of grown up in some way. And I was so impressed because... Um, we had this Liberty on the Rocks thing, you know, Thursday night after I'd done a day long of speeches to some really cool young libertarians and stuff. And that was just, that was just a blast because we were all hanging out at this bar and just so many interesting conversations and people, the young, the young libertarians now have a real sense of uh, confidence and hope about the future. This is not a dreary crowd, I can tell you. <laughs> Everybody's feeling really confident and uh, upbeat, you know, about everything. And I, I'm excited, too, because it's, we're about a month out from the International Students for Liberty Conference, which is like this global gathering of, like, mega proportions that, that takes place. And that's just the event of the year. And, and Alexander heads it up. Yeah, make sure we, let's get the website out for, for people uh, to, to make sure they can get, get there if they can. Uh, Alexander, would you like to mention a little bit about all the glories of the Youth Fest? Uh, I assume it's going to involve marsh pits and uh, mud pits, uh, simply because I'm completely out of touch with the youth, and that's my assumption. Uh, but uh, let's hear a little bit about the, uh, the conference. Sure. So thank you again for having us on today, Stefan. I, before, before I talk about the International Students for Liberty Conference, I want to build on what Jeff just said, that I think there really has been a transformation in the libertarian movement over the past five or six years of the lifespan of Students for Liberty, not just due to the work of Students for Liberty, but a generational shift that I see going on, a second wave of libertarianism, if you will. Whereas between the 50s and the 80s, libertarianism was primarily defined by the threat of communism and the lack of an infrastructure to support our ideas, which led to many individuals either thinking the cause was hopeless or that we needed to hide within another philosophy, say conservatism, in order to survive, we now live in a time where communism has largely been defeated. No one in regular society is willing to say that word in a proud way. But we also have libertarian institutions that have allowed for individuals and more organizations to really develop. Students for Liberty wouldn't exist if it hadn't been for the groundbreaking work of the Institute for Humane Studies or the Cato Institute as just two examples of organizations that got us to where we are now. And we're at a point where Students for Liberty 
now represents over a thousand student groups in our network all over the world. The International Students for Liberty Conference, which is taking place from February 14th to 16th in Washington, D.C., where Jeffrey and many other great speakers will be speaking, is just one of over 30 conferences we're running this year for over 5,000 students all over the globe. This is one example of the growing libertarian nature of today's youth and this optimistic, more inclusive approach to libertarianism that I think movement has really addressed before. Yeah, well, you I know, think also, uh, sorry, Jeff, you were mentioning that, uh, you know, social media and so on has changed a lot of that stuff. I think that's true, but, you know, it's not harmful to have a quarter century of increasing government disastrous uh, occurring. Uh, you know, if you come from a tribe of smokers and then as you and like 20 coffins, at some point you're going to question the health benefits of, of smoking. And uh, I think this is one thing that's really happened. You know, we're talking about the post-war period of the 50s to the 80s. Well, that was the time when government appeared to be breaking the laws of physics, mathematics, and basic reality because it was all debt-fueled and the bills weren't coming due and the disasters weren't accruing. Uh, and now, of course, that the bills are coming due, libertarianism gains credibility with those who function at an empirical rather than a theoretical level, which I think really helps with the traction. But sorry, Jeff, you were going to go ahead. Well, uh, there's another aspect to this that I find really interesting, and that's that there's a civility among the young libertarians that I've, I've met today. And not, not just in D.C., but, you know, I've spoken at, like, three or four of these regional conferences that Alexander was mentioning. And what you see at these events is a, a very broad base of, of intellectual um, influence. So you have people who are, you know, consider themselves objectivists. You have kind of constitutionalists, you know, Jeffersonian libertarians. You have, you have uh, anarchists of all stripes, left, right, and everything in between, uh, you know, people influenced by just, you know, Austrian economics or pe people who have come to the movement just just for the support of, uh, you know, basic civil liberties um, or, you know, who are sick of the drug war, whatever it may be. So it's a very broad-based coalition, but what's cool about it is that everybody sort of gets along, <laughs> which is kind of amazing, actually. You know, you know coming out of a... Of 50 years of, of extreme factionalism, you know, it's kind of neat to see people go, you know, why don't we just stop hating on each other and start dealing with the, the problem that we need to deal with, which is that we need to uh, increase human liberty in the world and, and diminish the role of power. Seems it's like funny a good how deal. libertarians, the infighting among libertarians is the most lunatic of all the groups, in my opinion, because we are the one group who is not going to violently impose our will on others. And so infighting among libertarians when surrounded by statists is completely bizarre because it's like hearing people say, well, I disagree with the way that you're not going to impose your views on me. Those other guys who are violently going to impose their will, we'll get to them later. But the way you're not going to impose your views on me is, is utterly unacceptable. And it's like, uh, can we just get back to some principles here? Anyway. Well, I think it's well, really sweet too. I mean, even at the Students for Liberty conferences that I've spoken, I mean, it's been fun for me because, you know, I'm something of a... A, a radical, even within the libertarian world, but I'm not even once has anybody said, you know, well, say this, don't say that. You know, I've been able to introduce ideas. Half the people there might, you know, find them objectionable or slightly not quite right or whatever, but everybody's been interested in what I've had to say. I mean, there's been a real sort of an atmosphere of liberality within, within uh, young libertarianism today. It's not that sort of dogmatic severity of the past that I remember so well. Well, so I mean, I like a stock price gets this. more stable, the more people invest in it, and a movement generally becomes more stable, the more people become interested in it, because uh, it is no longer just attracting people already outside of <laughs> common bounds of decency. Sorry, Alexander, I interrupted. Well, Go ahead. Really, 
Yeah, I think part of the problem for libertarianism in the past was this desire to purge anyone who wasn't pure libertarian according to a certain interpretation of what that meant, which led to different factions, whether it's the objectivists or fans of Mises or otherwise, simply saying that they didn't want to even speak with the other side of the group and focus on the 5% difference instead of the 95% that we have in common. Combine that with an interpretation that if you don't agree with my strategy for affecting social change, you don't agree with the end goal that I'm trying to achieve, and you have this incredible division within the movement over what's going on. And it actually excluded a lot of people from even becoming libertarian because some of the strategies that were adopted that some people who were prominent in the libertarian movement at the time were taking on really weren't supposed to turn certain people away. It was to keep individuals out of the movement instead of being inclusive. One of the reasons I think Students for Liberty has grown so much over the past few years is that we have really emphasized the classical liberal principle of toleration and encourage mm. people to respect one another, irregardless of factors such as race, sex, sexuality, and so forth, which Religion. unfortunately has been an issue in the libertarian movement in the past. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's great that you're bringing that word back. When I think when I think about that word, the very first thing that triggers in my mind is 19, uh, Mises' 1929 book, Liberalism, uh, where he kind of enumerated like five core points that constitute the old liberal idea. Uh, so it's like property rights and peace and uh, uh, freedom of contract association. But tolerance was a major thing. I mean, that was one of his subheads, like, you know, tolerance, social tolerance is right up there. And it's very interesting. It's like for decades, people sort of forgot this critical principle. But the point is this, really, and I think it was the point that Mises made in, the, in his book, was that, you know, it's no challenge to bring together uh, a homogeneous people and cause them to be orderly and more or less kind of, you know, get along, maybe. But the, the great challenge is how do you combine people that, that have radical differences among them, you know, whether it's race or religion or whatever the thing may be, that's where liberty really begins to work its magic and brings people together in mutually beneficial associations. And so liberty both requires and promotes tolerance. And I, so I think it's a beautiful term, and I love, that, I love that you're emphasizing that and bringing it back. I also wanted to mention something, too. Um, Jeff was uh, mentioning before the show that I'm starting to look more and more like Lenin. Uh, actually, what I'm aiming for is homeless Phil Collins, but I guess Lenin works as well. Uh, I have actually been working on a Lenin imitation, so I would just like to get your review of it. Uh, so you have to, of course, imagine me uh, with a little bearskin hat on, uh, on top, uh, in a black and white photo, naturally, on top of a railway carriage uh, somewhere in Vladivostok, uh, shouting uh, at uh, a bunch of people. Uh, so, <clears throat> ready? Here we go. Dyslexics of the world, untie! I'm still working on it, but that's... Uh, <laughs> That's as far as I've gotten. Uh, it's a whole speech uh, that I'm working on. Uh, so, That's perfectly uh, silly. <laughs> uh, sorry, uh, back, to, back to the serious topics. Um, now, Jeff also wanted to uh, give you the chance to talk about uh, the project that you're working on, liberty.me, yeah. where I, I believe you're ready to, to talk about that in public and openly and all that kind of stuff, uh, uh, to come out as an entrepreneur, so to speak, but to what, uh, yeah, yeah. what's uh, going on with that these days? Well, so the idea is that I, you know, this last, I've always dreamed of this uh, forever, you know, just like a single piece of real estate where everything cool in the world could happen. And I discovered that basically this last spring that all the technologies that I ever wanted were not just available, but actually affordable and doable. You know, and so I just couldn't resist it. That just began to brew in my mind. I laid out a business plan, shopped it around all summer and fall, and found uh, some investors. And so, uh, what it does is it combines uh, a social network, very much like 
like what you get at the International Students for Liberty Conference, except I wanted to kind of put it online and, you know, and cause it to exist in a digital space, of, you know, a sort of 24-7 opportunity for people to sort of constantly engage each other, uh, plus forums, but I commissioned really beautiful designs so they're not forbidding like others, plus a content delivery system where we're going to immediately release with 300 uh, books so you can have a complete you know, library. Uh, there and classrooms, and now the classroom spaces that are available digitally are just remarkable. And we, I've been working with some um, uh, uh, enterprise-level software providers to uh, make uh, classrooms that uh, just beat anything I've ever used. But the other thing that I really frustrated me over time is that there's a lot of sort of liberty-minded writers who don't really have an outlet that they want. I know SFL has been really good about giving outlets to, to students. So I wanted to kind of take this model and make it, you know, universal and give anybody who was, is a member of the site a really beautiful piece of real estate where they can not just write without gatekeepers, but also get in front of their colleagues and friends and get uh, comments and criticisms back and submit themselves to a commerce system, a, a competitive system about voting articles. And I want to be subjected to that, too. This is part of the main driving force because I don't want to become lazy as a writer. So we're combining all these elements plus a news stream, plus constant chat and uh, content delivery with very much of an applied uh, sort of focus and putting it all in one big piece of real estate. I convinced some investors that this seemed like a good idea, so now we're, we're rolling it out. And so far, I've just been absolutely uh, thrilled. We're also working with SFL to get uh, uh, students um, uh, involved, you know, really at the outset. And even from opening, which I think is going to happen like sometime within a couple weeks after the International Students for Liberty Conference, uh, we're all going to, we're going to open with a very gigantic community. So I'm looking forward to it. I mean, it's like the thing that I've always wanted to do, and now it's all happening. If I screw up, then, you know, that's entirely my fault. But I think everything's going really well, and I'm really, really happy about it. I get to watch the building take place every day. I imagine I've got lots of people engaged in it. So it's like, it's like building our own little city in the sky, really. Yeah, it's a digital liberty vortex that will suck you in uh, and never let you go. Um, and that's why I never do taglines, because that all just sounds vaguely sinister, like this <laughs> greasy, hairy hand reaching out through the computer to, to, to grab you in. But yeah, so it's liberty.me. Uh, Will, of course, uh, um, I'm helping out a little bit, and we're going to be uh, um, helping to promote it when it comes out. It's really something that you should come and, uh, and check out to, to find like-minded people, like-minded resources, and a place uh, to check for, for news and, and arguments and ideas and experts uh, and education. So, yeah, I, it's, um, uh, I think it's a really worthwhile project and, and well worth and checking out. And very much of a focus on, on applied liberty, too. I mean, you, you find this, actually. Um, one of the things that's really been cool about going to these uh, Students for Liberty regional conferences this fall is that there's a lot of lectures that are really about people's lives, you know. Um, and so, so the, you know, the good lectures on the drug war and how that affects people and uh, uh, the police state and, you know, what to do about that, uh, issues of, of family and uh, gay marriage and these, these kinds of subjects are very much integral to uh, the new libertarianism. And so it's not just then about theory, but it's about, like, you know, how does liberty actually affect your life? I mean, if, if the ideas of liberty actually wonderful and beautiful, then they should have a profound influence on the way we live, um, which maybe that sounds really obvious, but it took me like a couple of decades to learn this point. So, you know, me I want to kind of embed this in an, in an institution uh, and see how it, see how it works. So, uh, Alexander, as a, um, as a person who is, um, 
I guess, closer to the end of time uh, than the beginning, uh, such as us. Uh, I wonder if I get your thoughts on something. Uh, there was an article that just came out yesterday in the Financial Times, and um, it's called The Tide is Rising for America's Libertarians. Now, I think uh, somebody said that there's nothing worse for a movement than to be incompetently defended. And uh, so whenever I see mainstream articles writing about libertarianism, I always put on my Boba Fett blast shield helmet of keep my brain inside my my head because it's usually pretty, pretty bad. Uh, but um, uh, I wonder if you could just give me your thoughts uh, because he talks about young, uh, young libertarians and so on. So he talks about some plus sides and all that. Uh, but uh, and you can do a search for this in, on FT.com. Uh, it's called I um, uh, so as I mentioned, the, it's called The Tide is Rising for America's Libertarians. And uh, this is the last paragraph. I'm going to get you guys thought on it. He says, uh, on the minus side, libertarians have no real answer to many of America's biggest problems, not least the challenges posed to U.S. middle class incomes by globalization and technology. Nor are they coherent as a force. Libertarianism is an attitude rather than an organization. It is also potentially fickle. Young Americans... Uh, I guess the group, not the song, disdain foreign entanglements that could change overnight with a big terrorist attack on the homeland. They feel let down by Democrats and hostile to mainstream Republicans, yet they could flock to an exciting new figure in either party. Theirs is a restless generation that disdains authority. Establishment figures should take note. Tomorrow belongs to them. And I'll, I'll post the paragraph just so you can have a look at it in more detail in the chat uh, window of, uh, of Skype. But uh, what are your thoughts about that? Uh, uh, those statements? So I don't initially begin with the disdain for this. I think it's very exciting that the Financial Times is actually recognizing the increasing libertarian nature of this generation, as a lot of other more mainstream publications are starting to do. The British version of The Economist just a few months ago, back in May or June, ran a cover story saying that today's youth are the most classical liberal or libertarian generation ever in the UK. And this is something that more people are starting to recognize. It's something that those of us involved with Students for Liberty from the beginning have known was going on. We could see it on the ground. And you're starting to see the media finally picking up on this. And some individuals are expressing concern about it. They're not sure what this is going to mean to revising the establishment as it is right now. Other people are actually embracing it and trying to figure out what this is going to do and how to use it to their advantage. I don't think it's a bad thing for publications to start talking about the need for the two establishment parties in the U.S. to take heed of the increasing libertarian nature of today's youth. We need both major political parties to start to recognize they need to adopt more libertarian positions to stay in power, which will encourage them to do so. It's political economy 101. Politicians will adopt the positions it takes in order to get elected, and political parties will do the same thing. The more we get things like this out in the media, the more we're going to see a shift towards a freer future. And I think we ought to encourage that. It's a great sign in my mind. Uh, what about you, Jeff? What are your thoughts? <laughs> my mind kind of stuck on this very strange claim that somehow globalization of technology represents a threat to middle class incomes. I mean, actually, globalization and technology have been the only thing that have protected middle class incomes against eluding by other governments. So it's exactly the opposite of what they're saying. I do think it's interesting about uh, the point about terrorist attacks on the homeland as having the potential to disrupt our progress towards liberty, because, of course, we've seen that again and again in my own life. Well, I've I think they're that. saying it would, it would challenge isolationism, as, as it's called, or non-interventionism. 
yeah, yeah. And there's there's some truth to that, and it's actually uh, really worrisome. But you know, I remember after. But not for uh, libertarians. Because libertarians, as far as I understand it, and you can't speak for such a dis disparate group, but uh, libertarians from Ron Paul onwards say that uh, the terrorist attacks are coming from foreign entanglements, and therefore the solution to them is to disengage. But the thing is, Stefan, after 9-11, I remember feeling like, th I really thought this that afternoon after those attacks, I thought, well, now people see clearly the problem with these crazy foreign entanglements, and they kind of... Uh, uh, effects that it has, and uh, Americans will, for the first time, actually demand you know that we we stop this nonsense. Well, that didn't happen. I was like radically wrong in my prediction. <laughs> in fact, it went entirely the opposite uh, direction. Now here we are, all these years later, and the effects of of, of that particular message of of nine eleven that we need to get more involved, I think, are, are are lessening by the day. And I, I would like to think that one of the jobs that we have is to educate people about this, to prepare us for the next time that something like this happens, so we don't have this crazy reaction. I mean, after nine eleven, it was like, okay, let's nationalize the economy and, and impose the police state, and uh, destroy destroy you know human liberty right here at home. I mean, that was the, the worst conceivable reaction. I want to live. I, I want to live to the time where something terrible like that can happen, and, and the American people will have a, a normal response to it, a rational response to it. And I hope. I hope that's true next time, and maybe it will be true. I just don't know. Well, I think it's also, also interesting in what he says. Libertarians have no real answers, and I think that comes from the idea that answers must come from the state. You yeah. know, so answers to all human problems must come from state action, from laws, from, from regulations, from tariffs or ta something like that. It's got to come from the state. And so when libertarians say the state is the problem, not the solution, uh, people mistake that for having no answers. It's like, well, if you don't want to do the state to solve a problem, then clearly you don't want the problem to be solved. And of course, that's a complete misreading of the libertarian position. It's Bastiat's old argument that you mistake the state for society. And if you think the government doesn't want to solve a problem, then you don't want that problem to be solved. Oh, if you don't like welfare, you must hate the poor and want them to stay poor. And it also bothers me in particular when he says uh, libertarianism is an attitude. Uh, that to me, because I think libertarianism, non-aggression principle, property rights, very rigorous philosophically. But to me, this is the equivalent of saying mathematics is an attitude. Uh, you know, it's really not. Uh, it's really a, a very stringent and strict discipline. So, sorry, Alexander. Go, go ahead. Well, I, I actually think that criticism the author makes is on point as it represented libertarianism in, say, the 70s, 80s, and 90s. Libertarianism wasn't well organized. We didn't have many institutions backing up real-world change. It was a number of individuals articulating an academic position more than anything else. What the author and many other mainstream individuals don't recognize is that that has changed. We now have institutions and organizational efforts that is spearheading a new wave of libertarianism. But when it comes to a lot of the other criticisms the author offered, I think there's actually a fundamental disconnect between why today's youth are libertarian and the ways this person points out the generation could change. Today's youth have had our political memories informed by 9-11 as one of the first major events in our lives and the political reaction to it really defining our mm. memories for the entire Bush generation. After that, we experienced the 2008 financial crisis, and instead of seeing the, react the solution being greater government intervention, today's youth are more skeptical of government intervention as well. These kinds of events have led more young people to question the dominant narrative of the dangers of the free market and the need for state intervention in the economy and foreign affairs and everything else, and to seek alternatives. 
These have actually been things that have increased the libertarian nature of today's youth. And the fact that an author can get that sort of criticism so wrong, I think actually leads should lead us to optimism that today's youth are going to continue in the current path more than a lot of people suspect right now. There's also the fact of, um, well, let me ask you, Alexander, what do you, what do you think about this? That um, The failure of Obamacare uh, is makes a decisive case against the domestic welfare state, it seems to me. The, the other thing that's overwhelming to this generation is, is this idiotic drug war, actually. You know, which has done absolutely nothing to to curb uh, drug use and just uh, done a lot to just destroy destroy lives. Uh, don't you think those two issues are pretty pretty profound also in terms of domestic policy? I would I would certainly argue that uh, what what's happening with Obamacare. Just very briefly, I'll let let the young <laughs> younger person answer. But Obamacare is is government without anesthetic. Uh, this is what happens when you can't borrow or print to pay for uh, a government program. You have to have a massive shift of resources in real time without the anesthetic of debt. Uh, and so the young people are very clear that this is simply stealing from me to give to sick and old people uh, directly. But in, in the past, in the 60s and 70s and 80s, maybe even in the 90s, this would all have been funded through inflation and debt and would have seemed free, right? But this is government without uh, anesthetic, and I think that's becoming increasingly clear to young people uh, as well. So, but uh, so, sorry, Alexander, go ahead. No, it's fine. So, I think the right way to interpret the youth's disenchantment with Obamacare is not disenchantment with the welfare state in general. That already existed. Young people haven't expected to get Social Security at the end of our lives or for the system to really sustain itself. National debt has been a concern of this generation for a long time. The disenchantment with Obamacare is a disenchantment specifically with Obama. And I think that actually has a deeper implication for the libertarian nature of today's youth because it gives more fodder to the, the idea that they don't associate with either the Republican Party or the Democratic Party, that neither one of the establishment institutions or the people that have represented it really support the ideas and the principles they agree with. In the same way that young people fled away from Bush in the 2000s, they're starting to run away from Obama right now because he's not living up to the principles of change and the idealism that they expected him to. And that's still a very powerful and important benefit to us right now. Do you think that, uh, Alexander, do you think there's a degree to which, when you, when you look across Europe, I think you can see an increasing what is called radicalization, which is usually just a, um, an enlightenment or, or an awakening to reality. Uh, reality is radical because it's so coercive in our status institutions, but we call those who awaken to that fact radicals, which is kind of weird. It's like... Uh, uh, calling um, uh, people stuck in prison cells agoraphobic. It's like, well, I'm just kind of locked in. But um, uh, in, in Europe, there's a, a kind of radicalization of the youth that's happening uh, primarily because the road forward is blocked. You know, I've always sort of argued that society buys the allegiance of the young, intelligent, and energetic by promising them goodies. You know, obey the law and you'll get, you know, white picket fence, you know, 2.2 kids, a car, a garage, whatever. And society is kind of unable to offer goodies to the young in return for conformity to fundamental irrationality or, or uh, nationalism, whatever. In Europe, I think you can see this. And of course, Europe has a history of far-right activity, and some of them are drifting that way. Do you think that the fact that for a lot of young people, the road forward is blocked? I mean, job opportunities are scarce. I've talked to young lawyers who can't get uh, jobs. I just had a guy on the show who spent eight months as a pharmacist trying to find work. He ended up having to take a night shift, which was, he was just happy to get. Uh, do you think that some of it is the practical implications of a life post-education being stalled for a lot of young people and, and being frustrated at that lack of opportunity? I mean, that's absolutely a cause to the 
unnerving sentiment across Europe right now for a lot of young people with the failure of the state system. Like you pointed out, some of the solutions that are being offered in the direction that some people in Europe are heading right now are not beneficial towards liberty. The rise of what Stephen Davies calls national welfareism is very concerning to me, especially with the racialist and xenophobic undertones to it. But at the same time, there is a very large increasing libertarian movement of young people in Europe as well. We just ran, I believe, eight regional conferences across Europe this past fall. We've got our We've got our third annual European Students for Liberty Conference coming up in Berlin in March. And we're seeing an increasing desire to learn more about the principles of liberty from European youth, the same way that we see in the United States and around the world. That's actually one of the most exciting things about this generation. We're so interconnected, and the problems that, are, that young people are facing are so globalized, there is a common cause for liberty amongst youth everywhere. You know, there's another factor, too, that we live in times when the technology is, is showing us every day that the real solutions that make our, make our lives better, the things that make our lives cool and beautiful are all emerging from the private sector. And, you know, it's so obvious. What is government doing anymore, actually, for, for, for anyone, much less for young people? I mean, it's just, as you say, putting barriers in the way, whereas all the, the opportunities are coming out of a, a private enterprise and, 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 and free markets and, and entrepreneurship. Uh, so, and the only thing the governments are doing is, is outsourcing, right? Everything that people say, well, without government, who will build the roads? It's like, you know, the government doesn't build the roads at the moment, right? No, they just hire people to do it. Yeah, that's a very uh, excellent point, actually. And it's one that we need to be start, starting to make, right? I mean, government doesn't actually do anything. I mean, nowadays, they're just hiring private contractors for, for everything. But that wasn't even true, like in the New Deal. And, and even during World War II and throughout the 1950s, there's a widespread perception that if you wanted... Uh, cool toys, the government had to build them, you know, um, and that is just not true anymore. I mean, it's really like government has ran out of all innovative steam. I mean, it probably never had it, but at least the illusion was there in the past. Now the illusions are just completely stripped away. All the cool stuff that we, we experience and we get, we get through the private sector, and as, especially with regard to job creation. Um, you know, one thing, Alexander, I've noticed when I would talk to a lot of the students at the uh, SFL conferences I went to, um, they're in college right now, and they're planning to get their first jobs just to kind of pay the bill, pay the rent, you know, make the car payment, pay off the student loan. But so many of them are working on side entrepreneurial projects. Uh, you know, they're, they're planning a, a, a better life for themselves through entrepreneurship and sort of digital engagement and forming their networks and and like that. So that when they're seeing their job out of college as being a kind of a transitional measure to something, that, that, to a life they're going to create for themselves. Now, I have to tell you, this is completely different from the way of my generation thought of it leaving college. I mean, we never had any doubt that that we were going to get a job in our field and there were going to be plenty for us, and uh, that we could just walk in anywhere and, and get hired. I mean, there was a real great confidence about the future when I graduated that you don't see uh, anymore. But you see also this response to it by planning to, you know, a more freer, independent lives. And so many of these young people are, are making plans to deal with the realities that are, that are around them. It's, it's a completely different environment from anything I recognize. I don't remember anybody when I was that age that was planning to you know, work, uh, you know, a day job and, and do some great entrepreneurial venture uh, in the nights and weekends. But now that's just extremely common. I mean, that's a huge change. 
I absolutely agree, and I see the trend as well. I think this is just further evidence of the desire for economic freedom amongst this generation, the incredibly high regard that young people hold for entrepreneurs, no matter how much they may be demonized in movies or by the media and so forth. Young people want to be business people, and they want to have the opportunity to create the businesses that they want. And that it just further illustrates the libertarianness of today's youth. I think there's a general perception that the only security is independence. You know, security when I was a kid was, you know, you get a job with a big company, a stable company, you work your way up and so on. But I think now people are understanding that there is nothing in the system as it stands that's going to give you security. The only security is to continually add to your human capital. And there's no faster way to do that than to become an entrepreneur. Yeah, that's exactly what we're seeing. I talked to so many people for whom this is this is true, and you're right, Alexander. They re, there's a real admiration for the tech entrepreneurs of our of our time. You know, despite the a whole culture, political culture that's sort of like attacking them all the time. You know, young people are very much drawn to that. They're, and there's something beautiful and revolutionary and wonderful and destabilizing about entrepreneurship. You know, this this idea that the world can be reinvented and changed through private initiative. Um, I mean, despite everything that's going on, despite all the despotisms of our time, we're still seeing private entrepreneurship, you know, revolutionize uh, a world around us. I think oftentimes about things like, uh, like Bitcoin, for example, something that nobody, you know, cryptocurrency that nobody like 10 years could have even imagined possible now making gigantic inroads even into the mainstream retail uh, sector. You know, it's just a demonstration of how the world can be made new again, you know, if we take the right steps and uh, we be creative and entrepreneurial about it. All right. Well, um, Alexander, I know you've got a hard stop for 2.30, so I, we probably wrap this up. Uh, so I just wanted to, to remind everyone, uh, liberty.me is launching uh, I guess a uh, month, month and a change, six weeks. Uh, so in software terms, that means 2029. No, I'm kidding. Uh, but so I'm, if there's anything that's going to be on time, uh, it will be Jeffrey's project. Uh, I, I respect uh, the, the iron whip with which he drives his programmers off cliffs so that he doesn't have to pay them. No, I mean the way he which he manages things effectively. Uh, so that's liberty.me launching soon. We'll keep you posted about that. Uh, for people who want to attend, I wonder if you can give a few dollars and web tips, uh, Alexander, so people can get to the conference if they want. Absolutely. Please visit studentsforliberty.org. It's not just a conference for students. It's really an event for the entire libertarian movement. We would love to have more people come out to it to see the growth of the student movement for liberty and really the future leaders of the libertarian movement who are getting their start at the conference. Yeah, then the future leaders of the world, you will be provided um, by uh, with superhero capes from Alexander and naturally the inevitable bow tie from Jeffrey Tucker. So uh, have yourselves a wonderful time in um, Washington in February. I'm not sure that's a sentence I ever would have said in my life if it had not been for this show. But uh, thanks so much uh, for you guys for your time and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thank you.